Shalom Aleichem, Shavua Tov, to all of you listeners of this great station, station that beams only Divrei Torah, Divrei Halacha, Divrei Torerut, and of course, religious music. This is Rabbi Albaz from SLC. I'm going to talk about Parashat Vaishla. In this parasha, the very beginning, Yaakov is coming back home to Eretz Israel. After 22 years of separation from his parents, actually, it's more than 22 years. There's another 14 years that he spent in the Yeshua of Shem Ba'eber, so a total of 36 years. But he was not punished for that 14 years that he was in Shem Ba'eber in the sense that Yosef HaTzadik, who was his son, left him only for the 22 years that he spent by Lavan. Now he knows, he's coming back home, he knows Esav wants to hurt him. He knows he wants to fight him. Perhaps even kill him, as he has promised. So he's worried. He's scared. He's frightened from his brother Esav. His brother is a warrior, ruthless. Achzari. Yaakov is not. He's more idle. Although Yaakov Avin was very strong, but what about his family? The wives and children. How can he fight? 400 people would have no injury to his family, so he is frightened. Question is why is he afraid? Hashem promised him twice that he would look after him, that he would protect him. Once when he left Be'er and went to Haran, and again, when he left Laban, Hashem again told him, he'll protect him, he'll be with him. Why was he worried? Well, Chazal give two reasons. One reason is Esav had two great mitzvot that he was keeping, he was watching, he was fulfilling. One was Kibbut Avayim. Esav was very, very respectful to his parents. The other, Yishuv Eretz Yisrael. Esav stayed all the time in Eretz Yisrael while Yaakov Avinu was outside. So, that's, that's one reason. I'm going to um, dwell a little longer about the second reason. He was worried that if Hashem would make a special miracle to save him, that would take a lot, for, a lot from his merits, a lot from his zechuyot. And Rashi actually says it, Beferush. He says, Katonti mikola hasadim, mikola emet. And Rashi says, Nitma'atu zechiyotai al yedeha hasadim v'ha'emet she'asita in me. So many zechiyot that he had. I mean, he only left with his own, with a stick. Give him a clear, avarti tarina zeh. Now he's coming back. A huge amount of wealth, as we're going to see in a minute. Therefore, I'm scared. Perhaps, Okay, 
HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you promised me, but since then, maybe nitlachlachti behet, maybe I, maybe I sinned with Lavan. Maybe I, I really don't deserve so much wealth that he gave me. So he was worried. He was scared. And obviously, if he's by himself, fighting 400 people, it's got to be a miracle. And with a miracle, and it's going to be minakim mishuyotav. A person should not always pray for a miracle. Because first of all, for a miracle to happen, you have to have a lot of zikhuyot. And if a miracle does happen, you have to worry that a lot of your zikhuyot have gone. Let me give you some examples from the Gemara. The Gemara Masechet Ta'anit says that there was this man who uh, always gave tzedakah, no matter what. As a matter of fact, when the Gabaim uh, of tzedakah would see him, they run away because they knew that whatever he's at is going to give and didn't want to you know, impose on him all the time. So one time, he was in a, in a shuk in the market. He wanted to buy a dowry for his, his own daughter who's getting married. So this is this people that were looking for tzedakah they saw him, they ran away. So he went after them. He went after them. He called them. And he told them, I will make you, make you swear by my to tell me what is your business. They told him, we're here to collect for a yatom and yatoma, orphan, orphans. He said to them, like he's sweating, they come before my own daughter. He took whatever he had, gave it to them, except for one zoos. He took that zoos and he bought some uh, hitim, wheat. When he came, took that wheat and he put uh, he put him in in, uh, in a store store storehouse over there, store room that he had. Atedebitu, so his wife, said to the daughter, what did your, bro- uh, your father bring with him? She says, well, whatever you brought is in that store, uh, store room over there. Okay, so go take a look at it. She goes, takes a look at it, and she sees the entire room was full of wheat. From a small, tiny amount of wheat, the entire room. That was a reward that Hashem gave him as a miracle. So she ran to his father in the Beit Midrash. Abba, look. Look what Hashem did for you. What happened? Well, the entire room was filled now with, uh, with, uh, with wheat. He said, Ha'avodah, he's sweating. We cannot, we don't want to use it. We don't use it. This is a miracle. He says, don't use it. You're no better than any other poor person of Israel. You have the same privilege and same rights. It's for everybody. Don't use it. They were afraid. Hachamim were afraid to use something that came from a miracle. Here's another one which is even better. 
There was a man that did a, a very bad sin. And Rava, he, uh, he sentenced him to a corporal punishment. Unfortunately, he could not withstand that punishment and he died. So the, this, the word uh, got around and then the, the king, uh, Shabur, King Shabur Malka, you know, he, he heard about it and he wanted to uh, give a little hard time to Rava. The king's mother said to him, don't. Don't fool around with these people, the Jews, because they can pray and whatever they want, their master, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will give them. So leave him alone. So he says, uh, he, what, uh, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean? They can do whatever they want. So she says, uh, if they, they actually pray for rain, the rain will come. So the king says to his mother, well, the reason why, because they pray like in the winter. And they pray in the winter, so they have, obviously that's the time of the rains and it comes. Say, so if you really want to see whether this Ravah that you're talking about, that if he prays, Hashem listens to him, we are now in Tammuz, which is the summer. Let him bring rain now. So she sent to Rava and she said to him, make sure that you pray and let the rain come. Uh, Rava prays, no rain. Amal they really pleaded with Hashem. Please, Hashem, let's see something with our own eyes. Let's see that the rain should be here. Then the rain came in, such strength, such mabul, that it covered everything. But that was a miracle that happened. When Ata Abu, the father of Rabbah, came to him in a dream. And he says to him, go change the place where you sleep. Change your, your bed. Go to a different bed. Why? If it was a miracle, it could be hurt. Rabbah, a Nimura, a great man, a great Sadiq, he did change his bed. Next day, he found that the bed where he was before had a lot of uh, uh, knife uh, uh, stabbings into it, probably from the Shedim, from demons. But you see, we, we really make, ha having a miracle uh, could be sometimes uh, to the detriment of a person. So Yaakov Avinu did not want a miracle. That's why he was worried. But you might say, well, no, he also he had a beracha. He had a beracha from his father, Isaac. Here, let me stop a minute and explain something important which is discussed in the parasha about this beracha. Actually, this beracha which Yitzchak gave him because of the Bechorah, it was being challenged by Saro Shel Esav, the guardian angel of Esav, the ministering angel of Esav. What happened? Yaakov Avinu crossed the Nachal Yabok, the river of Yabok, and then finally came back alone. 
And this angel comes, starts fighting with him. And they fight and fight. And finally, in, in the morning, he hits him in the thigh. Vateka kafyerech Yaakov. His thigh was dislocated. Then, uh, the, the, the angel wants to leave. And Yaakov says to him, excuse me, you know, I want you to give me a blessing. Don't leave before you give me a blessing. And he blessed him. Question is, why did he hit him only at the thigh? Why not his shoulder, his arm, his hand, his foot? Why the thigh? And secondly, what is he asking for a beracha? What kind of beracha is he asking for? And here, if you listen carefully, you'll understand what this whole thing is about. The Ibn Ezra says that in the olden days, meaning in the days of the Tanakh, when a person was to swear to another one, he would put the hand under the thigh of the other one. Now he's sweating. Right? The person that makes him swear asks him, put his hand under my thigh. What does that mean? It means that, hey, I my hand, which is the symbol symbol of, of action and power. I'm putting my hand under you. I'm at your command now. Give me the instructions. You're my master, and I shall fulfill them. This is what Ebenezer says. And he mentions that in his time that such a thing was practiced in in, in Hodu in India. That's what he mentions. Akupani, we see this by Avraham Avinu when he sent Eliezer to bring a bride for his son, and he told him, put your hand under my thigh, which means now, oh, you are at my command. He gave him instruction. That's what happened. And he did. He swore. It happened. Same thing happened with uh, Yosef at Sadiq, Yaakov Avinu. When, he, when, he, when, when, when Yosef uh, was swearing, he told him, you have to swear to me, and he put his hand under the thigh, because that, again, that's a sign of, all right, I am at your command. I will do what you wish. Now, when Esav sold his Bechorah to Yaakov, there was a swearing over there. Esav swore. If Esav swore, it means that he put his hand under the thigh of Yaakov. Now, this whole idea of putting the hand under, meaning I am at your command, now, if somehow the thigh is broken, then that could possibly nullify the, the, this whole swearing business and, and the whole mechor and the whole sale and the whole uh, beracha that goes with it. This is why Sarosh al Asaf came in and he hit him at the thigh in order to somehow accomplish something that might nullify the sale. The sale was dependent upon the fact that he put his eye under the thigh, but the thigh now is broken. The Sarosh Esav wanted to break his thigh to nullify the sale altogether. No sale, no beracha. So Yaakov says to him, wait a minute. You succeeded in breaking my thigh, but you're not going to take away the barakah from me. He says, you're not leaving. 
berachtani. You have to bless me. Gotta give me the beracha. That I won't let you go without it. That was the idea behind the beracha. Now, so he was scared, like we said at the beginning. But what did he do? And Chazal says, and Rashi brings it, he prepared himself three things. Tefillah, prayer. Doron, meaning a gift. And milhama, war. Now, prayer, we know. Prayer is extremely powerful. It's a great tool. No one can minimize the power of prayer. And he knows, Yaakov Avinu knows that it helped his father and mother to have children through prayer. It helped his grandfather Abraham. It helped Raheni Menu, who prayed also. He knows prayer is powerful. He prayed to Hashem. Please save me from my brother, who is not a real brother. He's a brother that actually is behaving like a Esav, like an Akhzari, a ruthless person. That's one thing. Now, the next step is, okay, tefillah is going to supplement it with doron, a gift. And what a gift. Now here, we could see the wealth of Yaakov Avinu. Many people, they read the parashan, they say, ezim, matayim, ezim, matayim, they don't even realize they don't comprehend the, the immense magnitude of this gift. 200 female goats and 20 males, 200 sheep, 20 rams, cows, bulls, donkeys, camels. We're talking about a big, huge farm. That's only the gift. Imagine if, for example, you were to give $10,000 to a yeshiva. If you, if you can afford to give $10,000, then you probably have 20 or 30 or 40 times more than that. So imagine 40 times more than when he, the gift he gave. Now you could see what, what a, a multimillionaire he was by those days' standards. Now, if that doesn't help, obviously he will go to war. Fine. Then war comes Chazal said that Rabbi Yudah Nasi, Rabbi Yudah Nasi was the great sage who uh, wrote the entire Shisha Sidre Mishnah. He wrote the Mishnah, and he was also very friendly with the with the Roman Emperor. Many times the Roman Emperor would ask his advice, and of course, whenever he went to see the Emperor, it says. He read carefully the passage of Vaishlah, the first passage. He read carefully to understand the underlying uh, reasons why Yaakov did what he did. You know, he sees that you have to pray, you have to give a gift. If that's not enough, then you have to start quarreling and doing whatever necessary. The uh, Rabbi Yudana, see, not only was a great sage, 
tremendous wealth of Torah. But he was also very humble, despite the fact that many times the king, the emperor himself, would ask him for advice. That means he was a man of great wisdom. And he would go over this passage to understand clearly that these three steps are very important. And Rabotai, I would like to also add that ourselves, this idea of prayer, gift and war, is not limited to just an individual. It could be in a community or it could be as a nation. We did not have Eretz Yisrael for almost years after the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, almost 2,000 years. And you know what? We actually did follow what Yaakov did. Imagine for 2,000 years, three times a day, millions and millions and millions of people, of Jews, have been saying, Go back. We want Hashem to give us back our land. And we also say, We also want the Beit HaMikdash. Well, at least Hashem answered us halfway. We have the land. Beit HaMikdash, Be'azat Hashem will come with the Mashiach. Bimhera, Be'aminu, Amen. For those prayers did not go in vain. This is what Yaakov Avinu said. First the prayers. Then Doron. What does that mean, Doron? Give gifts. And we're not talking about small gifts. We're talking about big gifts. Huge gifts like Yaakov Avinu did. Now let me tell you a few facts. Maybe you're You've heard of these? If not, you can check them out on the internet. In 1937, Britain appointed a commission called the Peel Commission to investigate the unrest that was going on at that time in Israel. What happened in their report? They decided to have a div division. Half for Israel and half for the Arabs. Israel accepted it. They did not. They gave him a gift. After all, that all of Israel should have been really part of it because the entire Palestine, meaning with the Jordan, was supposed to be a home for the Jews. And they already had almost three-quarters of that whole thing, which is called now Jordan, which has two-thirds Palestinians in there already. Okay, fine. We'll give them half. No problem. The Arabs rejected it. 1947, the United Nations recommended also partition of the land. Half for the Jews, half for the Arabs. Rejected it. No, we don't want it. In 1978, there was a, what we call the Camp David Accords. It was Menachem Begin, representing Israel, Anwar Sadat, 
representing not only himself but also the Palestinians, at the time was President Carter. And they signed an agreement. And the agreement also included partition of the land to give one huge, a huge area for the, for, the, for the Palestinians. It's a big doron here, big thing. They, they, they did not accept it. Did not accept. Okay, in 2000, Ehud Barak, that was at the time the Prime Minister of Israel, he offered to return the Golan Heights to, at the time, Hafez Assad. Okay? He returned for peace. We, we're not talking about a, a small piece of land here or a building or a street. We talk about a, a big area, the whole Golan Heights. Big Doron did not accept. In 2008, Ehud Olmert, who was at the time, again, the Prime Minister of Israel, he offered a state for them. Uh-uh. Again, they would not accept it. I don't know how many of you heard of Abba Iban. He was uh, the Israeli ambassador to the United Nations for a number of years. A great speaker. Tremendous orator. And he made a quote. He made he said several quotes, but one of them, very interesting. Think about this. He said the Palestinians never missed an opportunity to miss an opportunity. Think about that. This is true. Okay, so now, what we got here? We have the prayers. We have the Doron. If that doesn't help, then we follow Yaakov Sabah. We follow what Yaakov did, meaning what? War. But because we are following the steps of Yaakov Avinu, our forefather, Hashem was always with us. And he'll be always with us. We do hope that there won't be any wars, but Hashem is always looking up to us. We're following what Yaakov Avinu did. And Be'ezat Hashem, we will be the winners. Be'ezat Hashem, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, will send us our Mashiach Sitkenu. Amen. Rabbutai, again, I want to just mention, uh, try to contribute as much as you can to this station. It's a beautiful station. I like this station myself. That's why I am uh, talking in it. But it needs contributions in order to stay alive. Please do your best. At the same time, if you haven't yet seen our newly renovated ballroom for Simahot, I think you're missing something. Even if you don't have a Simha, I think it would be a great thing for you to just come and take a look at it. It's a beautiful site. Our shul also is a beautiful site. I think we have one of probably the best Simahot hall in our neighborhood. And of course, if you have a Simha, please contact us. Thank you. Shavuatov to all of you.